Hey friends, welcome to Garden Church Podcast. This is a series called Jesus People. We are looking at who Jesus is and how we become more like him. Jesus People are God's strategy for transforming the world. We hope you enjoy this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. Amen. Merry Christmas. 9 a.m. Oh, come on, 9 a.m. I mean, it's festive. You guys have candles in your hand. I see you playing with them. <clears throat> hey, my name's Darren. And if you're new, we're so glad you're here. I'm sorry, maybe somebody bribed you with Christmas presents to be here today. Either way, we're going to have a fun morning. Um, I realize that in the modern context, oftentimes Christmas is veered towards like a secular, consumeristic, hectic, frantic, paced um, experience. We're surrounded by cultural idols. You know, things like Elf on the Shelf and Santa Claus and Christmas trees, lights, uh, Christmas lights. <laughs> I don't know about you, but eggnog lattes are really important to me. <laughs> you start getting like angry at Starbucks because they stopped carrying them so long ago. I don't know if you know that. That's a real tragedy. The other things that I want to solve today, I'm going to talk about the meaning of Christmas. But before we talk about the meaning of Christmas, can I just make something perfectly clear? There was a, a debate, a decade-long debate that took place, uh, and it was settled in the Nicene Creed. And that's simply that Die Hard is a Christmas film. All the brothers in here that need to have that kind of good news today, let me just settle it. Just kidding. So I don't know about you, but for me, with the, the pace of life in the holiday season, it, it, it's wild. And I, I, wanted to, I wanted to frame just a brief talk, give you three snapshots on the meaning of Christmas. Um, and I just want to frame that through the biblical text. So I have three points today, uh, and I want to just help you think about Christmas, what, what we're celebrating as the followers of Jesus this Christmas season. So I have three points. You ready for it? All right, if you have a Bible, pull it out. We're going to look at scripture. There's a lot of text today. I want to see you thumbing through your big, oh, I see you going down for your big Bibles. Um, point number one, Christmas, you ready? Point number one, Christmas is about God moving into the neighborhood. So I just need to make it clear, Christmas is about Jesus. In case you didn't know, Christmas is part of the Christian story. The Christian story is not how we get to heaven. It's about heaven coming to earth. Can I get an amen on this? The story of the Bible is the story of God moving closer and closer and closer to his creation. So the gospel of John, if you have a Bible, go to John chapter one. John chapter one is in the gospel of John. John, the author reveals a, a, a Christmas story, believe it or not, that we often miss because of the rich theological words he uses, but he says the Christmas story doesn't begin in the backwater town of Bethlehem. It actually begins at the beginning of creation. So he will allude to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The story begins with God creating everything and God walking with humanity. That's the Christian story. It begins with God creating Eden and God being close to creation that it says in our narrative of Genesis that he was walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. What kind of story is this? 
God walking with Adam and Eve. Well, that's how it begins. And then we know Genesis 3, right after this, uh, or right before this, actually, sin enters into the story. Creation is vandalized by our rebellion to do things outside of God's way. So death and sin and destruction and, and, uh, and anxiety and anger and all these things that we experienced just in the last month are present in front of us, and it's not the way it was intended. I think if those of you that aren't even Christian or haven't been a part of a community like this, you know the world is not the way it should be, amen? It's not hard to wake up every day to the bad news that are going on all around us. It seems like it's at an accelerated pace of pain and chaos, but something in the human condition knows that this isn't the way it was supposed to be, that our story was hijacked, And that is the story of the Bible. If you've never read this story, the story from Genesis 3 to the end, so basically, let me just show you this so you have a visual. Basically, right about here, the rest of this (laughs) is the story of God's redemptive, loving pursuit towards creation. Him acting towards us in a way that would reveal his ultimate destiny. And so by the time you get to John chapter one, it says this. This is John's Christmas narrative in a sense. I'm making a a, a theological jump, but I want you to see this. It says in verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word he's referring to is Jesus Christ. And it says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then if you skip down to verse 14, in this poetic, theologically rich retelling of the creation story, it says in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And as the author of the message translation says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is our story. That God did not leave us to our brokenness. God did not leave us to our own demise, to our sinful state. God did not leave you alone in your anxiety and despair and hopelessness. He came into the story as a human in Jesus Christ. And that that word is incarnation, It's this word of God becoming human, incarnation. This is the Christmas story. In Jesus, God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Incarnation is an interesting word. The way I would like to frame this theologically is incarnation is God saying, I know how that feels. I know how that feels. The God who created these things, this is a, Picture from James Webb Telescope. How great is this? He created this. You can go to the next one. Sorry, I missed that cue. You can go to the next one. This one's great. This looks straight out of Star Wars. This is why I love this one. This is a real photo. Okay, let me just read. The God who created this, the Grand Canyon and the cosmos, became a human and wants a relationship with you. That's the Christian story. Did Did you know that? So the basic Christian message is God is so committed to redeeming his creation that he became a human being in Jesus so we could see what he's like. So let me just make it perfectly clear if you're just, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, maybe not. In Jesus, we see what God is like. So every other distorted image of God you have in your head has to bow to the image of Jesus. 
So let me say, say that when you read the scriptures, what you see that God, he's not angry. He's in a good mood. He's not disappointed with you. He's not judgmental and anti-everything. He comes to redeem everything, to restore everything. He comes to welcome the outsiders and the least likely folks. He doesn't come to make a, a dividing line of who gets in and who doesn't. He's not here, um, or he, he's here. He's not absent. He's present. He's not distant. He's not temperamental. He's like a waiting father running for his prodigal. As soon as he gets a glimpse of him off in the distance, he's taken off running. That's the story that Jesus reveals. And this God, the God of the cosmos, wants a relationship with you. That's the good news of what we're telling you today. So it doesn't matter where you've come from or how messed up you are or what you did last night or this year. If you're like me, you have a long list of things that went wrong this year. Anyone else want to just confess? Things that you wish didn't happen. The story is God's moved into the neighborhood. He's not far away, he's close. That's, that's one image of Christmas. All right, let's go to a second one, all right? We'll get, we only got two more. It's gonna be quick, I promise. Next two are really fun. Christmas, and you know this, Christmas is about God with us. I love this because in Matthew chapter one, listen to this, this is in Matthew chapter one, verse 21, it says this in the gospel of Matthew. The Christmas narrative is talking about Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and it says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love this text for so many reasons. As a student of the Bible, again, we're talking about what is the meaning of Christmas. In the names given in this passage, the two names given to Jesus really uh, tell the entire story of the Bible. Number one is we have a God in Jesus. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is the translation from the Hebrew name Joshua. And Joshua means Yahweh saves. God saves. God saves. So this is why this is such a beautiful story that you can't save yourself. And Lord knows I've tried. I have tried so many different things in this life to to transform my soul. Has anyone else tried the things like, I have done this year alone uh, uh, a keto and carnivore diet, just that alone. <laughs> Intermittent fasting, I've done pursuit, partial pursuit. I'll just say I didn't finish the 90 days. It's starting January, just TM, there you go. Um, but the story of the Bible is God coming to save creation. That you might have experienced some real traumatic things that have impacted you physiologically, that your trauma might live in in your bones, in your muscle memory, in the trauma of your heart and your mind. And we're seeing the interconnection of pain. And you've done everything. You've been to the therapist. You've done the fast. All jokes aside, the story of our, our story is the story of a savior coming to save you. Not just from death and eternal separation or your sin, but actually wants to restore you wants to take what's been done to you, what you've experienced in this life, and redeem it. Not when you die, before death. Jesus means God 
saves, God rescues. And so in Matthew 1, we're like, we know that this Messiah is gonna be somebody who saves us and we all need a savior. But it's not just a savior to redeem us, to restore us, but also something far more significant than any other religion out there by far. Our God is with us. So Christmas isn't just about God becoming human. It's not just about Godness of Jesus. It's about the withness of God. I know that's like a Dr. Seuss line, but let me just say, it's not just about the Godness of Jesus. It's about the withness of God. God's desire is to be with his people. And why that's significant is at the time that Matthew was written, and as Matthew quotes Isaiah at the time that Isaiah was written, and in this present moment, the way we hear it, there are ways of living and interacting in the world where we try to prove to ourselves, to whatever deity we worship, whatever God we've come to worship, we try to live in a way that appeases the gods because we don't know how we stand with him. We don't know if he's happy with us. We don't know if he's angry with us. We don't know if we need to offer more sacrifice. The Christian God isn't that kind of God. We know where we stand with him. We are his beloved. And according to the scriptures, he wants to be with us. He wants to be with us in the mundane. He doesn't want to save us in a prayer, in a service. He wants to walk with us in the middle of the night when our baby's crying and not sleeping and join us in our suffering when we're at their hospital and we don't know what's going on. He wants to be with us in the diagnosis. He wants to be with us in the trial. He wants to be with, be with us on the anniversary of our son's death because he cares about what we're experiencing. This is the Christian story. Christmas isn't about Christmas trees and lights and all these great things that we love to celebrate. It's about recognizing that the God who created all things wants to join us on our limited journey in this life. He wants to relate to us. And I don't know about you, but unless you learn this, God, this idea of God, your life will be distorted in anxiety. It will. It reminds me of the time my son, who has had a lot of teeth problems, um, genetics. I'm not gonna blame his mother, but I haven't had a cavity, so. <laughs> Is that fair? I'm not, I'm not putting you under the bus, okay. <clears throat> but if you've ever taken a kid to a dentist, it's, even if they're just going to get a cleaning, like they're just gonna brush their teeth and maybe floss. I've seen little kids freak out. You know, anyone know what I'm talking about? If you're, maybe you still do this as an adult, right? So you're like, I'm already there. Where are you going with this? <laughs> Tell me, help me out. I remember when Ezra was five or six and he had to get like some major work done. I think his tooth was being pulled. Couldn't have been saved. And we had prepped him. We had shown him pictures. Like, I was like, this is what the operating room's gonna look like. Let's go and examine this on YouTube. Like, we had prepared him for what he was about to do. And Alex couldn't take him, so I was by myself, which that alone was a bad call because she was the primary comforter at that moment. You know, I was still learning. It came natural to her, but I, I'm, I've figured it out since. But anyways, five or six years old. We walk into the operating room, and he panics, He's so scared, he begins to cry, he turns, he's crawling on me, and that's not Ezra at all. He's, he's very much resilient and calm in moments like this, and he was terrified. I'm like, I don't know what to do, Jesus, help me. Like, we have to go through with this thing. And in a moment of like this last minute ditch effort, I was like, hey, doctor, could I l sit on the, 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 the chair and let him lay on me and you do the procedure? And he's like, yeah, completely calm. He went calm, peace came over him. We did exactly what he was gonna do. 
before I, I was on the chair, but the only thing that changed in his mind was daddy was with me. And unless you learn to understand that God is not judgmental, he's not angry, he's not waiting for you to mess up. He's a loving father that wants to be with you in all of it. You won't really have the Christian narrative in your life. You don't know who the Christian God is. Christmas is about God with us. You with me? Third point, we're moving right along. Look at this. We're going to be done for uh, Christmas brunch, maybe. I don't know what you're doing after this. I got two more, so. um, Let me just say one more thing before I jump to number three. I, I, I recognize that Christmas is this really interesting holiday. It's this beautiful thing where like this nostalgic experience comes out and we have this, this amazing, joyful, jubilant experience. But at the same time, there's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of pain. It's like Christmas brings out the, the most joyful, hope-filled anticipation and it becomes like the, 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 the thing that reminds us more than ever of the people that are not with us or the relationships that we no longer have. It's like in this moment, Christmas is both this celebratory and, and season of grief that push, pushes some of us into a season of uh, seasonal depression. And I just want to say, for those of you that are experiencing sadness this year, and like Christmas has been marked by the reminders of pain, that maybe for some of you, this is the first Christmas that you don't get to dance and celebrate with that loved one or it's the third, or the fourth, or whatever. I want to just say, I know we live in a moment where brokenness is felt and experienced and present and pulsating in front of us. But when we get to Emmanuel and we read God with us, what you need to remember is that the story doesn't end with grief. The story doesn't end with the pain you're experiencing. Our story has a happy ending. And so while we grieve loss, while we, we hold space for a blue Christmas and all those human emotions, we also know that the story ends and there's no more tears and that we will be dancing and singing with our loved ones once again. So just, I wanna encourage those of you that are walking in that place of grief that you can hold space with joy and grief at the same time because that's what Christmas is about. Is that all right? Some of you just need to sit in that and know that he's with you in the pain. And yeah, maybe it's your 50th time. Maybe it's your 15th time and it's the same and your loved ones are like, come on, move on. You can say, no, I'm still grieving the loss of my boy. And that's what we have to do in this season. We can't just skip over it. We have to say God came and it's felt and he experiences that pain. And where is God? He's in the tears with you. Even if it's the 30th Christmas of remembering, he's still there with you grieving. He's not over it either. Are you guys okay with that? Okay, we'll keep going. Maybe not. Um, I love being a local pastor. This is not for platforms. This is for people over a long period of time together becoming hopefully a better version of ourselves. 
But when you're a pastor, you get to walk with people in the celebrations of ecstatic moments, births and weddings, and you do funerals and divorces. You sit in, in, the, in between. And so I just know that this year, it is exactly this, highs and lows. And I, since we've moved here, I have seen a collection of a lot of lows, a lot of pain. There, the amount of suffering and loss in the 9 a.m. service is overwhelming for a generation. You're in good company. And we love you. We want to hold space. And I'm reminded of this phrase that we've been talking about. Someone brought up in our, 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 our staff that Eugene Peterson, Eugene Peterson says, the church is to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. And so that's what we want to be for you. A colony of heaven and hope in the country of death and despair. All right? So Lord, I just pray that you release our grieving brothers and sisters to experience just a little bit of your comfort as God with them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, point number three, and then we'll end. This is my favorite point, so let's see if it comes across. Number three is Christmas reveals how God gets things done. I like getting things done. I like uh, checks on the boxes. I like getting, like if someone gives me a list, I have the type of personality that cannot concentrate on anything else until whatever it is is done. This is a true story. It happens so frequently. My wife is a list maker. And I like that. I like to know what she's thinking and what she expects of me. Now, if the list is outside of my skill set, like anything in the house, that requires anything at all. <laughs> I've learned YouTube helps, yes, but at the end of the day, I'm just inadequate. It doesn't Im- impact my masculinity, except when she's like, should I call one of your friends? <laughs> but Christmas reveals two ways the way God works, in two ways in the story. I want to show you this. Okay, so lean in. One, Scripture reveals that God's sovereign, listen to this, sovereign redemptive work depends upon his collaborative partnership with ordinary men and women. God's sovereignty, like God will do what he wants to do, yet even in what he wants to do, like renew the cosmos, if you read scripture, it's like God still chooses broken, ordinary people to do these extraordinary things. It's ridiculous. If you don't think it's ridiculous, read the book of Judges, read 1st and 2nd Kings. It's like a mess the entire time. These people are sinners. These people don't remember what he said. They do it their way, even though he said to do it this way, over and over again. The entire narrative is God doing this massive thing and choosing ordinary people to do it. And Mary is the ultimate expression of this, right? Like, let's go, I want to just frame the Christmas story. Luke chapter one, say Luke. I feel so loved. I'll tell you, I went, I try to do this at guest, when I guest speak at churches and there's crickets. And it's like, I'm like, you, you have no life in this church. Your her, your heresy is overwhelming. and I don't know what to do. The verse 28, okay, of chapter one in Luke, it says this, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him God saves. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him a throne of his David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Ah. Mary's like, well, how is this possible? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She was uh, said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month. She conceived. For no word from God will ever fail. So you have God's massive plan dependent upon Mary. You're going to be a virgin who conceives the son of God. This is a really big deal. We, we sanitize this. We domesticate this. This is such a big deal. And Mary's response is, I'm the Lord's servant, which is a Greek way of saying, let's do this. I love this. It's the epic fulfillment of literally all things. Like this is the moment of God's culmination of the entire Old Testament. And an angel goes, this is it. And Mary, who's a teenage peasant in the middle of nowhere, not yet married, has the ability to say no. She could say no. A no means she keeps her reputation. A no means she has her future in comfort, convenience, and security planned out. It means she keeps on doing what she would hope to be, or uh, uh, keeps on doing what she hoped to do. Uh, It means she doesn't have to live with the amount of heartbreak that's promised of her. Her future's convenient and planned, and she says, let's do this. And her yes will disrupt everything. Her yes will bring a series of conflicts that are overwhelming, and I don't know how favor equates to what she'll experience the rest of her life. Think about it. A favor from the Lord does not mean favors from the Lord. In in Matthew's telling of this, Joseph and Mary get this word that they're going to give birth to the son, Jesus, and as soon as they give birth to the son, you think they're going to nest and have a peaceful time, and then Herod comes to kill all the babies, and they flee to Egypt. Their yes to God causes them to be refugees. Her yes cost her her credibility. She was found to be pregnant in Matthew's gospel, meaning Joseph's like, something happened. I want to divorce you quietly. Her reputation, her credibility, her future, her security, everything about this is inconvenient to Mary. I want, I've, been, I've been reflecting on this the last week, and I was on a walk, and I was just caught up. I was like crying on top of Signal Hill just thinking about the cost that Mary's yes brought to the world. Her yes meant waking up in the middle of the night until her baby stopped crying and learned how to sleep. Her yes meant for the rest of her life, she would steward this thing in the mundane places of life. Naps and feeds and dirty diapers. Her yes meant that she would watch her love of her life be put on a cross and she stayed till the end. 
And her yes sees the resurrection and she's in the upper room praying. I mean, her yes was not just this miraculous thing. It was the mundane. It was the quiet. It was the unspoken, the unseen, the mostly overlooked over a long period of time. And that's my second point. That God chooses to work with us and the way God moves most of the time is through the slow, small, mostly overlooked over a long period of time kind of ways. And this kind of challenges, in my opinion, the whole thing of Christmas. Because Christmas, we want it to be spectacular. And churches love that. They got, I've been in a church service and there was a drummer that came up on this platform. It turned sideways, fireworks came out and he spun as he did a drum solo to the little drummer boy. I've got no gifts to bring. Fireworks going off. It was nuts. The next year, it was a magician from America's Got Talent. I mean, we have pastors coming in, angels coming in. Nothing wrong with the spectacular, but even the spectacular announcement in Luke 2, it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. He's not going to a coronation. He's not going to the king. He's not going to the high priest. It doesn't look like this. He goes to the night watch shepherds outside of Bethlehem. We're talking the least of these folks. And they announce to these unlikely, unspeakable outsiders. No one else gets to know except those people. And they come and meet Mary. And what does she do? Does she tweet it? Does she post it? Does she start branding and start marketing? No, no, no. She ponders it in her heart. She treasures it. She teaches us how to follow God. I just want to make this clear for Christmas. God moves, the kingdom advances through small things, mostly overlooked over a long period of time. The United States, the consumer Christian culture that we have wants to do large things famously as fast as possible. This whole holiday season, large things, famously, as fast as possible. But Christmas is actually small, slow, for the rest of eternity. So Christmas reveals what God's like. And I guess the question is, do you live with that kind of resilient faith? Are you following that kind of God, the God who chooses to come to hang with the least of these, who chooses to come not with coronation ceremonies, but with with literally his kingdom beginning with a king being born in the obscure places like a barn? Do you see it? Do you celebrate that? Do you train your kids? Are you practicing as a married couple this kind of kingdom advancement? that kind of Christmas. I don't mean to ruin your Christmas. Bill already did that last week. Um, <laughs> such a good sermon, by the way. Holy moly. You know, he told me he was going to do something. I was like, yeah, go for it. And then I watched it. I'm like, you didn't have to preach at me, bro, the entire <laughs> time. I want to invite you to, to live this Christmas this way and to celebrate it differently. invite you into a quiet life of humility and faithfulness. Because I believe the Lord is whispering invitations to partner. 
2024 will be a year like no other because we haven't lived it yet. So is every other year. But (laughs) what would faithfulness look like for 2024? As the whispers come, maybe it's sobriety. As the whispers come, maybe it's serving. As the whispers come, maybe it's a host. Your home becomes center of hospitality. Maybe it's generosity. Maybe it's just quiet faithfulness to the thing he said 10 years ago. Whatever it is, may it be for you this year. Let's do this. I have two friends that lead a church called Jesus Culture San Diego, Zach and Melissa Curry. I was there last week preaching for them. And... um, in February, he told me about this thing that happened to him. He was at a leader's gathering at his church, and this woman who's part of their church who leads kind of a foster care agency, and she's adopted, she does place, home placement, she had a brand new baby. And she was overwhelmed because no one was taking this child, and there was all these issues that I can't go into detail, they're not public around, um, around this child. And his name's Marco. And uh, they, they saw this baby. They had never in a million years thought to themselves, we would like to adopt one day. We would like to become part of the foster agency. We'd like to do these things. They saw this girl and they're like, we should buy this kid some clothes. So they go to buy clothes. And then they're like, hey, you know, you're overwhelmed. We'll take Marco for a day. We'll take him for a day. And they get the baby and they have three daughters, 11, 14, and 16, you know, they just moved from Sacramento two years ago to plant a church in San Diego. They're leading a vibrant church in San Diego. Uh, Melissa's a nurse. She works as a nurse in Zach's full-time church planner, pre- uh, preacher, lead pastor. And they get this baby, and God spoke to them and says, you need to take this child. And so they talk about it for a little bit, and they say yes. And so they now have permanent guardianship to Marco. And they're in the process of adopting this child. And the the background is crazy, but I was watching this child last Sunday held by Melissa as all these members of their church gather around this kid and he's just glowing. He's this beautiful child, just turned one. And I just was overwhelmed at their yes because they were on the exit strategy of parenting. You know, when you got an 11-year-old, you're like, it's cruise control. I know there's teenage. I don't know what it's like raising girls, but I'm sure there's some hard steps in there at some point, so I hear. (laughs) I'm sure. I don't really know what teenagers look like for them. But they have have a great family. They're doing so much for God, but their yes meant going back in time. It meant sleepless nights. Zach told me a story. He was literally crying in the shower going, I can't do this. And their 14-year-old daughter comes up, wakes up 4, 4 a.m., comes to them and says, I've been wrestling with this all night. This is when they were discerning. We have a home. He doesn't have a home. This is what Christians do. We need to give him a home. And for that entire week, she woke up at the 4 a.m. so that his, her parents could sleep, the 14-year-old. They said, let's do this. And I just want to make this clear. Saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to God's invitations is a yes to a heavenly plan. Whenever you say yes to a heavenly plan, it will disrupt your earthly plans. And the cost will be overwhelming from the outside. If you talk to Zach and Melissa, they don't even see the cost. 
It's not a cost. They're like, wait, what are you talking about? Yeah, the sleepless nights, all this, this, we have to have a new car because now there's four kids and not three. Everything got rearranged around this. Yes, it's not costly for them. It's they've received something. They've received this child. Marco is this gift that eclipses everything else. And that's what you have to see about Christianity. Let me first make sure you understand. When you say yes to God, Christianity doesn't make your life easier. I think that's a lie we've told the world. They say yes, and then all of a sudden there's all this conflict because now you're at war with the way the world works. You're at war with the devil, and you're at war with your old self. Anyone want to say amen? Yes, it's not easy. It's hard. A yes to this one thing, all right, take this child, will be a yes to a million other things that you can't even see, but that will overwhelm the cost because it's good. And it's his invitation. And when you say yes to God, it will all work out in the end. So that's Christmas. <laughs> it's not Elf on the Shelf or Die Hard. I want to make it about those things. It's not about Santa Claus and Christmas presents. It's about Jesus. God who moved into the neighborhood. It's about God with us in the brokenness, in the pain, in the imperfection, in the anxiety, the despair, and things not working out. He wants to sit in there. He doesn't want us to clean it all out and make it right and then invite him over. He wants to dine with us in the chaos. That's good news. It means you have the creator of the universe in the mess with you. That's a good start. And God works differently. He chooses because of his love to partner with us to have the audacity to say, yeah, come along, you can do this too. And somehow in our frailty, in our brokenness, in our insecurity and fear, he uses us for glorious reconciliation of all things. But most of it won't be spectacular. Most of it will be hidden, quiet, gentle, slow, long obedience in the same direction. And that's what Christmas is about. Amen? Amen. Can we all stand together? Would you open your hands? I want to pray for us. Father, would you release just a joyful freedom this Christmas to really get who you are? I pray in the name of Jesus for fresh encounters and revelation. I pray for those that have yet to say yes to you, Jesus. I pray they not only say yes to you, but they actually say yes to your church, that the yes would lead them to being a part of your strategy for renewing the world, and that's the local church body, that they would be received by people that they would be welcomed into a new family and that they would walk together and never alone for the rest of their life. I pray that this church would be deeply blessed, not in the spectacular, but in the ordinary, in the overlooked mundane moments. I pray that's where heaven would rest and that we would receive you in Jesus' name as you are. Amen. Let's worship. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to Garden.Church. God bless you.